Welcome to the 28th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Danny Toby, author of the new novel, The Faculty Club. Uh, Jeffrey Deaver, author of uh, most recently The Burning Wire, and uh, soon to be author of the next continuation James Bond novel. I spend a lot of time writing, a lot of time researching my books, um, but uh, when I'm not doing that, I, I love uh, listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast, which you can hear at readingandwritingpodcast.com. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Danny Toby, author of the new thriller The Faculty Club. Available now in hardcover and ebook editions. Danny, welcome to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Glad to be here. Sure, sure. Well, if someone hasn't heard about the Faculty Club yet, can you give us a sense of what your new thriller novel is all about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's a thriller about secret societies at the world's greatest law school. And I, I think the sort of twist that that makes it unusual is it's a starts off very much in the vein of a legal thriller Uh, you've got this young guy named jeremy who's a public school kid from texas who is sort of baffled to find himself at this um, unnamed best law school in the world Uh, and he gets very obsessed with the secret society on campus which promises success beyond his wildest dreams and where the twist takes place is that there's actually a, a supernatural or paranormal element to this uh, club, which um, leads him into a world that that takes sort of leaves the John Grisham territory behind and, and goes into Dan Brown and almost Stephen King terrain. Interesting, interesting. So uh, <laughs> I, I know that that some of your background that that you grew up in Texas, correct? I did, yes. And and so did you model some of the book uh, about your own experiences in the Ivy League? Um, well, I, I, to the extent that that question asks if I was uh, in a secret society, the, the answer <laughs> is no. But you couldn't really say if you were, right? Exactly. I, I like to say that that question can only be answered one way, no matter what the, the true answer is. Right. Um, but, but actually, I, I was not in a, in a true secret society, but I did a uh, ton of research uh, for the book. Um, I, I sort of I was a public school kid from Texas, and when I, uh, I, I went to Harvard undergrad and Yale Law School and sort of felt continuously uh, shocked and baffled to be at both places, and uh, w- was always obsessed with the secret societies, partially because I just love rituals and symbols, and, and they're filled with both of those, and also because I just love the secrecy of them and, and sort of what they represent, which is you, you get to this campus that's supposed to be an open sort of bastion of of democracy and knowledge and, and liberty. And, and then you have these highly secret, quote unquote, tombs in the middle of campus that people just pass every day and accept. Uh, so, so yeah, I put a lot of the sort of feelings of being an outsider at these institutions and, and wanting to sort of know what was going on that, that animates the book. Absolutely. Sure. Sure. Well, I, I know that, um, you know, most people know about the skull and bone society at Yale and I'm I'm curious if you if you given the the fact that you wrote this book if you've given much thought 
about kind of the fascination that people have with secret societies? Or do you just think it fits into kind of the America's love affair with conspiracies, et cetera? Well, I, I think it's both. I mean, I think to some extent secret societies are an easy target because, you know, it's a complex world and our problems are sort of huge and, and people love conspiracies because they're sort of an easy target. You can say, oh, that, that's the bad guy. Um, but, but I do think, you know, there is something to these societies in that incredibly powerful people tend to congregate together and try to preserve that power over time and pass it on to the next generation. So, you know, I think they do it with or without secret societies, but secret societies are an incredibly convenient tool for, for people to do that. Um, I, you know, I also think secret societies have changed a lot over time. Sort of the theme of the book is the way the older generation can kind of hang on to power and, and make themselves immortal by, by controlling the next generation. And, you know, the next generation, what that means, it used to mean the next generation of blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, um, uh, prep school graduates. And, and now it's a much more um, multicultural world. And I think the, the Ivy league secret societies have become much more multicultural. And, and so one of the things the book plays with is, you know, while that sort of surface level changes, the desire to still control the next generation and, and pull the strings doesn't change. <laughs> <laughs> sort of a subversive but, but fun idea. Right, exactly. Well, I noticed in, in researching for this interview that you had won a prize at, for creative writing at um, at Harvard, the, the Edgar Eager Prize. And I'm just curious if the Faculty Club was the first novel that you've written. It, it, yeah, it absolutely is. And it was sort of this breakthrough moment for me because that, that prize was for my former style of writing, which was these, you know, basically uh, New Yorker style uh, short stories that, that all, you know, were sort of bittersweet and they had the obligatory, you know, moment of epiphany at the end where the character <laughs> sees what a fraud it all was and you know it's like it's like the james joyce uh group think that you that you get when you take creative writing classes um and, and you know a couple years later i was sort of reading my john grisham and stephen king and i just had this breakthrough moment of this is what i really love i mean i love books that suck you in right away that um, are entertaining. I mean, it's great if they make you think. And, and I believe that the faculty club actually has some cool uh, metaphors for, for a lot of the stuff that's going on in the world around us. But, but that doesn't mean it can't be fun. And, and I, I don't know when they're, this, this idea that you know, books have to be painful and about horrible, depressing subjects to be intellectual or, or important. I, I don't know when that idea came out, but I decided to sort of push against it and, and write the kind of books I love to read. So so this is my first novel, and, and I think it's the first novel I could have written because I don't think going down that other route of more literary writing, my, my heart just wasn't there. Right. And and I'm curious, what, what was the process like for you, um, given what you just said? Did, did you set out, I mean, you said you had this kind of epiphany regarding John Grisham and Stephen King and, and realizing that this type of, of literature was kind of a narrative drive. And I guess some people may disparagingly refer to it as popular fiction. That mm -hmm. that, that, that was your, that was your, your passion. 
did you did you then sit down and 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 work out the plot or did you have a light bulb moment in terms of the plot for the faculty club or was it something that you had to work at it, 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 no, the the plot came very uh, nicely once I had the core idea. And, and the core idea was, you know, I was at Yale Law School, and, and I love Yale Law School. I mean, the, the, the book is in no way, uh, you know, negative on, like, that was probably the happiest three years of my life. I met, I met my wife there. I met amazing friends and, and teachers there. But I did see this process there, which I think happens probably at every school in the world, which is, Professors like students who adopt their, you know, view of the world. And, and it's just natural. I mean, it's the way people like friends who see the world in the same way. But, but I started taking that a step further and, and thinking, well, what a great way to, if you wanted to have a fun conspiracy thriller, what a great way to control the world if you had this cabal of professors that were shaping the next generation of leaders to think and act in the way that, that you wanted them to, and then you could sort of send them out into the world, and they're the best and brightest and most handsome and most beautiful, and they could go on TV and, and basically do the things you want them to do. And, and, and so I, I took that idea, which I think happens in real life, and I gave it a, a healthy dose of supernatural you know, panache by, by throwing in some surprise elements of how they might actually do that. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, then threw in the obligatory uh, hooded bad guys with long, scary knives. And, and you know, it, it just, it all, the plot just sort of unraveled from there, like it just unspooled. I mean, well, once you've got that basic mystery and you know where it's going, then it just sort of explodes out. Sure. You you mentioned your your literary efforts before you wrote the faculty club. Have you always been interested in writing? Was that something that you have done from an early age, or do you have a particular memory when you realized that writing was something that you really enjoyed? Yeah, you know it's funny because I did my first book signing ever um, right two days after this book came out back, back a month ago, and my my fifth grade teacher came to it, and it was like. You know, just the most beautiful moment of my life because it was like everything came full circle because <laughs> he was my first real writing teacher. I, I, I had been writing stories, and this sounds preposterous, but it's, it's strangely true. I, I mean, as long as I can remember, like probably the moment I knew how to write, like I was writing these made-up stories and making up movies. I, I, I remember when I actually when I saw him, I made a comic book when I was very little um, that was so cheesy. It was about uh, vampires in outer space on a space shuttle, and it was called Atmosphere, the F-E-A-R at the end. <laughs> and and I, like, I was certain at age you know, 10 or whatever that this was going to be the number one movie in America. But so, so this love of, of sort of you know, supernatural nonsense goes all the way back. But, but no, I've always written, and you know, just the amount of failure that you go through as a as an aspiring writer is amazing. I mean, I I quit writing for years at a time, and then I would come back and try it a different way. And you know, I wrote in high school and used to save my rejection letters from the New Yorker, and I had stacks of rejection letters. Um, <laughs> then in college, I was writing again, and I got involved with the Lampoon, which was a comedy magazine, and so that was just a totally different type of writing. And, and I even spent a year with my friends in New York, you know, getting rejected from Saturday Night Live and David Letterman, and, and a lot of them stuck with it and, and finally made it on. But I sort of went off in this other direction to write novels. But it's just, 
it's really exciting because there's so much rejection and it just goes on and on. And so when you, when you finally have something that, that hits like this, it's just like, it just doesn't even feel real. Yeah. I can imagine you, you mentioned earlier, John Grisham and Stephen King, who are some of your favorite writers? What, what books and writers inspire you and that you enjoy reading? Oh, uh, you know, I, I, was on a really big Michael Chabon kick the last couple of years. I, I think Cavalier and Clay is just a phenomenal book. Um, and, and he's a great example of someone who loves genre fiction. You know, he loves sort of supernatural and sci-fi and, and, and fantastical tales. And, but, but he manages to take it to, you know, a literary, I mean, in his case, a truly literary, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning level. I mean, he's, he's great. Uh, uh, for just straight ahead scariness, uh, you can't beat Stephen King. Um, for beautiful, sort of haunting, high literary modern writing, I, I'm a big fan of Philip Roth, uh, big fan of Cormac McCarthy. I thought The Road, you, you know, some of Cormac McCarthy's earlier books, I liked them because he's such an amazing writer, but, but they were so just harsh. And then, then I read The Road, and, and there's actually this redemptive human connection that, that you can form with that book because it's about a father and a son. And, and so that, that blew me away. Um, but I, I mean, I read everything, uh, from, you know, old classic literature to, um, you know, John Grisham and David Baldacci. Sure. Well, now that you have had your, your first novel published and, and, you know, you mentioned the, the great experience of having the, the book signing and having your fifth grade teacher there. What advice would you offer to aspiring writers who may be listening to this podcast and, and may be, you know, in the position that you were years ago? Uh, I would say, and, and this is, you know, almost so trite that it's meaningless, but, but it like, like, like most deep human truths, it's, it's, it's easy to write it <laughs> off as a cliche, but, but, you know, write where your heart is and, and do not chase the moment. Do not chase what's popular. I mean, if I, God love vampires, but if I read another vampire novel or even, you know, smell another vampire novel, I may have to jump off a bridge. <laughs> and, you know, I think there's probably 10 billion new original vampire novels out each week now. And, and you know, maybe this is terrible advice because they may go on to be number one bestsellers. But I, I, I mean, it's it's like me writing the the literary short stories when I really wanted to sneak off and read uh, Grisham. I, I mean, you're going to light up and be passionate when you write what entertains yourself, not not when you're sort of chasing what you think agents or publishers are interested in in the particular moment. And, and I think it's a good way to find yourself behind the curve um, if you're sort of chasing, you know, the last twilight or, or, or whatever. Um, so, uh, you, you know, it, there's risk in that too, because I think, you know, a book like the faculty club is surprising to some readers because it's very different than books that they've read before. You, you know, it starts off like this very traditional legal thriller, and then it takes a radical left turn into foreign territory, you know, sort of supernatural excitement um, and, and, and I love a lot of books like that. I, I mean, um, e, you know, there's this great book from, uh, oh gosh, I don't even know when it came out anymore, but it was the Magus by uh, John Fowles. Sure. And that's another book where every time you think, you know, what's going on, it just takes a left turn. And, and it just, 
I remember reading that book for the first time. It was like a great adventure because for once I could not predict where the book was going. And, and so I really wanted to do something like that with the faculty club. And, and so I, I just followed that, that strange thread and uh, it's been kind of cool. That's great. What was the publication process like for you? Did you did you have difficulty finding an agent? And I'm assuming that you used an agent to, to sell the book. Yeah, I, I actually got incredibly lucky because um, that my agent is uh, Jody Reamer, who discovered the Twilight books. And so not only does that make her just really cool, because, you know, Twilight was obviously rejected by a lot of people before Jody was brilliant enough to pick it out of the pile and, and say, this is it. Um, but, but it also is just cool for me because, you know, I, I'm prone to self-doubt. So after, you know, sending it out and waiting for responses to get positive feedback from Jody after she had just launched Twilight, it was like, wow, maybe, you know, I actually uh, don't have to, you know, spiral into despair that I'll never write something <laughs> that someone reads, um, which was, a, you know, a, a positive moment. Um, so, so, I mean, again, like everything in writing, rejection is a huge part of it. And, and I had a, uh, a writing teacher in college who told me the greatest saying. He said, as a writer, you have to be tough about rejection and sensitive about everything else. And, and it's a very hard balance to strike because if you get too jaded, you, you lose that sensitivity that, that allows you to perceive the world in an interesting way and feel it and, and then convey that to people through, through a book. Um, so, so there were, you know, a lot of agents who, you know, looked at the faculty club and passed on it, but Jody pretty early on saw it and said, you know, I, I, I this, this speaks to me. Um, and from there it was great. We, we managed to get an amazing editor, um, Emily Bessler from Simon and Schuster. And she, I mean, she did Angels and Demons. She did. Um, she does all Vince Flynn's novels. So she's just a phenomenal talent, and uh, you know, helped me revise the book in a way that I think made it much, much stronger. And and then has been great in getting it out there to people. That's great. That's great. What What's next for you? Are you working on another novel? Yeah. So the second one is done. Uh, it, I'm really, really excited about it. I it. it um, it is a totally independent novel from the first book, except that there is a character from the first book, from the faculty club, that disappears, and, and sort of consciously. I mean, they, they say, whoa, what happened to this guy? And that's you're sort of left dangling with that at the end of the first book, and you do find out what happens to him in a surprise cameo in the second book. So, um, but I will say that 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 revelation raises as many questions as it as it does answers. Um, so I think that's probably where the third book is going is to show how he got from point A to point B. Um, but it it is it, I I, um, I did a uh, strange detour into medicine. I did four years of medical school. Uh, so the second book is a medical thriller that also has sort of supernatural or paranormal elements uh, that that liven up the mystery. Uh, and, and so um, it's similar, but takes you through a different world and a different uh, group of characters. So you have a law degree and a medical degree. I'm sure there are people listening to this who are curious, how in the world do you find the time to write? I thought the question would be why. <laughs> that's, that's usually the question I get from, you know, my parents, my wife. Um, it, it, how do I find the time? Uh, I was very lucky. The first book I wrote at the end of medical school, 
which I knew at that point I was going to be combining law and medicine and practicing law in the service of helping doctors and hospitals and people who invent great new medicines. Um, so I didn't have to go through the process of interviewing for residencies as a practicing physician would. Um, so in those three months that I had off where all my friends were flying around the country in suits trying to get residencies, uh, I wrote the first book just all day, every day, just typing away. Um, the second book I wrote while I was practicing law so instead of three months, it took about a year and a half because, you know, law is a demanding profession and sure. it, not, not even weekends, you know, are, are necessarily free. So I just would wait till I had a free weekend and, you know, put myself in a corner and write. And, and so I got it done, but it was, it was a much more challenging process. Sure. Do you have a publication date set for the second novel yet? Yeah, so the idea is that it will come out a year from uh, when the Faculty Club came out, so June of 2011. And do you have a, a, a proposed title or a final title at this point? I, I have a title that I, I guess is a secret because okay. it will probably change 20 times. Uh, sure. The Faculty Club was not originally called the Faculty Club, and I think we must have had, oh, I don't even know how many titles. <laughs> it's just, it's a, it, that, I think it is easier to write a novel than it is to name a novel. Sure. What was the no what was the title that you were using when you were writing the Faculty Club? I'm just curious. So, so the original title comes from a Shakespeare quote, which is very much the theme of the book, which is um, "Some rise by sin, and some by virtue fall," and, and that's very much the theme of the book. Is you know, there are a lot of people in life who do the wrong thing and they get ahead. And then there's a lot of people who do the right thing and it doesn't work out so well. And, and that's, I, I mean, Shakespeare was, you know, <laughs> brilliant, obviously, and was hitting on this idea that, that deep down we believe that if we do the right thing, we'll be rewarded. And it's just not that easy. And, and that's something my main character in the faculty club has to come to grips with because he has to basically give up everything to, to do the right thing. So the original title was Some Rise by Sin, uh, which was sort of a cool Agatha Christie title, almost like, and then there were none. Right. Um, but it was incredibly hard for people to say. Uh, you know, when you're talking to your friend and you say, oh, you need to read this new book, Some Rise by Sin, it almost sounded like Sunrise. Sunrise. <laughs> uh -huh. And as silly as that sounds, I mean, this is the, the, the benefit of having a brilliant publisher and agent you know, they said, look, it is so hard for a new book to break out and find an audience. I mean, you're competing against the Internet and movies and, and other, you know, established famous authors. You just got to have a title that people remember and can say to their friend, hey, check this book out. And, and so I trusted them and, and they have consistently been right on everything like that they've suggested. And it became the Faculty Club, Great. which is actually a really cool title because it without spoiling too much, once you read it, it, it fits in. Exactly, exactly. Well, again, we've been speaking with Danny Toby, author of the new thriller, The Faculty Club, published this summer and available now in hardcover and ebook. Danny, thanks again for joining us. Jeff, thank you. This was fun. This is Lee Child, and I'm listening to the Reading and Writing Podcast. Thanks for listening to my latest interview. 
If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate a review of the podcast in iTunes. It's really simple. All you have to do is go to the iTunes store and it takes a minute or two to leave a quick review of the podcast. And that way more people can find the podcast because the more reviews and ratings a podcast has in the iTunes store, the more they feature it and the more prominently they feature it. So hope you enjoyed the interview. Until next time, read some good books and support your local independent bookstore. And I'll be back soon with another interview with a writer that you enjoy reading. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.